How good are technical difficulties? Am I getting taller? Um, my name is Jade, and it's my privilege uh, to open up this passage for us in the series The Sun. Um, if I can be honest with you for a moment, uh, the, purpose of, the process of writing the sermon has been quite a painful one. Um, not because the passage is especially hard, as you'll see it's not, and not because um, I didn't like what the passage had to say, as you'll see, I do. Um, I found it difficult because this week, and especially this week, it was a little too close to home. It was a little too relevant for my life. You see, I found myself through the week wondering when things would stop getting worse. I wasn't really asking for things to get better. I was just hoping for some sort of stability of badness. Like, hey, let's just pause here for a second. <laughs> just a few of the many things going on was that, um, were that we had to move house because we had a hundreds of dollars of increase in rent. Um, our movers damaged a bunch of our stuff, uh, like a lot. Uh, we, had a, um, we had like water mains burst. Uh, our internet was out for about a week, which who can live without internet? Um, we had a very painful event in our journey in trying to have another child. Um, just everything was happening at once. At one point, I was on the verge of tears because on top of everything, I had pulled my back out and I was painfully driving back home with my daughter Alice in the backseat asking me 10,000 questions, probably about Bluey. Um, and I was just wondering, like, God, I'm struggling here. You can see me. Um, why aren't you making any of this easier? I know that you can. So why aren't you? I think we've all been through times where we question God or even question our faith. When life gets rough and things are just not working out the way that we want them to, um, we feel heartbroken, we feel lonely, and we can sometimes wonder whether God is listening or whether he's even there. Have you ever felt this? I want to encourage you this morning that you aren't alone. Not only have most of us here been through it, but even the prophets of the Bible experienced it. Moses, David, Solomon, John the Baptist in our passage today. We have faithful people throughout history um, that have felt like they were let down by God. They had certain expectations and their expectations weren't met. And that led them to question God. So today that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, it's all about what to do when our expectations aren't met by God. We're going to look at two types of people represented by two uh, people or groups in our passage. First, we're going to be looking at the disappointed prisoner. And then we'll be looking at the disappointed expert. Um, and we're going to see how they each feel like Jesus had failed their expectations. So let's jump right in. Um, the disappointed prisoner, uh, and we'll spend the bulk of our time in this point. And that person is John the Baptist. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about who John the Baptist was. His story actually starts back in the Old Testament. Um, we see prophecies about someone who is going to come to prepare the way for the Christ. And through John's birth and life, we see that John is that someone that was coming. Um, and he fulfilled all of the prophecies about that person. So people followed John to learn about God. And John preached uh, to them, taught them about God. And he led them to repent of their sins and to be baptized in water. He was adamant that there was someone greater that was coming after him, the Christ. He was adamant that he was preparing the way for someone much greater um, that will save the people from their sins and that John, he was just a messenger. 
finally, one day, he's walking uh, on the street and he sees, along with his disciples, someone. And he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He sees Jesus. And he points to Jesus and he says, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. So John's whole life is focused on preparing the way for Jesus. Now, confirming John's word, we see in Luke four, uh, Jesus is standing in the synagogue and he chooses a prophecy from Isaiah and he reads it out. And the prophecy shows us uh, what the Christ was supposed to do when he finally did come. The the Christ was supposed to proclaim the good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, healing for the blind, and he was supposed to free the oppressed. And now this is where the rubber hits the road. John the Baptist was sitting in prison. So the one who had spent his whole life proclaiming that the Christ was coming, and he was coming to bring good news to the poor, heal the blind, and free the prisoners... He's hearing about all of the amazing things that Jesus was doing from prison. Jesus had been roaming the cities, fulfilling all of the prophecies, but he hadn't bothered to free John from prison. And so this is where we get to our passage this morning. That's him read out for us. Locked in a dungeon, his expectations failing. He sends his disciples to ask, Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Should I be waiting for someone else to save me? Because you don't seem to be doing anything about it. John was struggling to keep his faith in Jesus. Jesus had failed John's expectations and John was wondering whether he had made a mistake about who Jesus actually was. Was he truly the lamb of God that was going to save people from their sin? Now, before we continue and see Jesus' response to John's doubt, I want to ask you, has Jesus failed your expectations? Are you stuck in a dungeon this morning wondering, is Jesus trustworthy or should I look for someone else who I can trust? Maybe you prayed for healing and only pain remains. Maybe you're struggling financially, but... God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. Maybe like my family, you prayed for new life and the miscarriages keep coming. If that's you, I'm really sorry, truly, that life is so hard. In a few minutes, we're going to see Jesus' response to John. And I pray that you hear his words well because they are words of life. Now, on the other hand, you may be sitting here thinking, I feel for you, Jade. I'm great, but I'm great. I don't, and I've never really questioned my faith in God. And if that's you, that's awesome. That's great, really. But I actually want you to listen to how Jesus responds even more acutely. If you haven't been through trials yet, I can assure you that they will come. And I can assure you this because the Bible tells us that they will come. And if you're not expecting them, oh, how much more painful they will be. And if you don't know what to do when they come, oh, how much more painful they will be. So Jesus responds to John. He responds um, in three ways. He acted, he reminded, and he encouraged. So firstly, he acted. His response to John started with him immediately performing miracles. 
Um, so the disciples of John got to see these miracles for themselves. It may have been all in that moment, or it may have been across the following hours or days. Um, but the disciples of John get to see Jesus doing things that they had never seen before. In verse 21, we see at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So John's disciples asked Jesus the question. And then at that very time, Jesus did these things. They were able to see and experience firsthand all of the reports that they had been hearing about Jesus. So Jesus's response first, he acted. Secondly, Jesus reminded, and we see this in verse 22. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Jesus told John's disciples to go back and report what they had seen. So the miracles that they just experienced firsthand, and then also what they heard which is this quote from the prophecy in Isaiah, which Jesus is fulfilling before their very eyes. So what's Jesus doing here? Essentially, Jesus is saying, look at what I'm doing. Go read your Bible and know that I am the Christ. He acted, he reminded. And thirdly, and finally, Jesus encourages. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. In other words, Jesus is saying to John, you and anyone else like you will be blessed if you do not fall away because you are disappointed with the way that I choose to do things. Now, it's, it's helpful to know that Jesus had actually failed John in at least two different ways. Um, firstly, we, as we've been seeing, John is sitting in prison and the one who is supposed to free the prisoners has not freed John. And I'm sure that's heartbreaking for John and he has no idea how to process it. But there's another misunderstanding that has caused John to be disappointed. It's true that God's people at that time, um, if you know much about uh, that time, uh, were waiting for the Messiah to come. So they were all sitting around waiting. Soon the Messiah will come. But they didn't expect someone like Jesus. Um, They were expecting a Messiah like, imagine if you know Alexander the Great. They expected him to come in to destroy the Romans, to chop people's heads off and, you know, install a new kingdom where God reigns and all the evil was gone. That's what they thought was going to happen. Instead, Jesus has been spending time with sinners, caring for the sick, teaching about how the meek will inherit the earth. Complete opposite. It's funny. Now, it's kind of like this. And imagine this. I mean, it's, it's a bit out there, but imagine this kind of metaphor. Go with me. Imagine that as Grace City, we had been advertising this huge movie screening event, right? <laughs> Have you heard this one before? <laughs> Something big and outdoors where hundreds of people were going to come. And there were going to be food trucks and a 500-inch screen. Imagine we were going to have kids from the whole neighborhood come, and we're going to paint their faces. And <laughs> oh, Matt Varka is probably crying. And, <laughs> and we'd give up free popcorn to everyone that was there. And then imagine, I mean, just imagine, it's a stretch, but imagine that we end up watching a movie in here. And we have Peter Sackerman grilling sausages from Woolies on the barbecue. <laughs> All really good things. 
but a little different to what we expected. <laughs> and that's kind of what's happening with John. He's confused. He's expecting something very different to what he's hearing about. He might even have been expecting Jesus to come through, blow the doors of the prison on his way to take down Herod. And Jesus knows this. And he knows what John is thinking. And so he says, I know that things don't make sense to you. I know that you are in pain, but blessed are you if you don't fall away because you're disappointed. I'm not doing things your way. I don't want us to move past this truth just yet. I think this is one of the hardest truths of the Bible for people living through today's world to accept. There's a difficult reality that we have to reckon with together this morning. And that reality is that we often won't know why something has happened and why God chooses to do things the way that he chooses to do them. Come with me to Matthew 14. That's not Matthew 14. That's part of Matthew 14. I'll read it out for you. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed because of his oaths and his dinner guests. He ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it on to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. That's the same prison that John was in when he asked the question. Why couldn't John have been freed before this happened? Why did Jesus leave him in prison? Why did he have to be beheaded? The reality that we have to reckon with this morning is that we are not in control. On this earth, we won't know why John was beheaded. My wife and I will never know why it was allowed that we have the miscarriages that we have had. Or think about your own life, why you can't find a spouse, why you can't have kids, why your body is failing so often, why your relationships are so difficult. Many of these questions, we will never know why. And, and so Jesus says to you, I do things my way. Don't fall away. Don't stumble. Come to me with your doubts and you will be blessed. Remember, today is about what to do when our expectations aren't met by God. When you feel disappointed, failed, do what John did. Do what John did while he was in prison waiting to be beheaded. Take all that disappointment and go to Jesus. Remember the way that Jesus responds to John. He doesn't lay out the whole plan. He doesn't draw a map to explain to John how it's all going to happen. Instead, he points to scripture and he tells John to trust him. 
The disappointed prisoner thought that Jesus was going to free him from a physical prison. But Jesus had much bigger plans. John didn't understand that the freedom that Jesus was coming to do was not just from physical prison for people or just by even taking down the Roman Empire as large as that seems. But it was freedom from Satan's empire and from the prison of sin and death. That's what Jesus came to do. And so that was our first point, the disappointed prisoner. Our second point, much shorter, is focused on what I'm calling the disappointed experts. Uh, These people were the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, um, and there are disappointed experts. We see them first mentioned in 29. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus's words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Now, just a quick heads up. When you read baptism here, don't think of baptism in the same way that we would usually talk about baptism. Uh, Baptism here is referring to what John was doing before he was imprisoned. So John was calling people to repent of their sins and be baptized by water. So everyone that was baptized had publicly um, uh, declared that they were sinners and that they needed saving. Um, The other group, however, and this is where we see this distinction. The other group, however, the Pharisees and the experts, they did not want to be baptized because they didn't think that they needed it. Um, They didn't think they needed it because they didn't think they needed to repent. They didn't think they needed to repent because they didn't think they were sinners. They thought they were pretty good. They thought that they were the good guys because they strictly kept to the law and that was enough for them. Now, these Pharisees and experts, just like John, they were waiting for a powerful Messiah King conqueror. That's what they were expecting to come destroy the Roman Empire and install them as rulers of the realm. But what did they get? Not they got a weak to them Messiah who would end up crucified. And for what? To be saved. We don't need to be saved. So we don't get the whole point of this, this thing. Boy, was Jesus a disappointment to them. Now, in our first point, we were looking at John, a believer, and his struggle with doubt. And in this point, we're looking at the Pharisees, the people that don't think they need to be saved. They rejected God by not acknowledging their sin. And remember, they didn't want to be baptized because they thought they didn't even have sin. They were good and they were in control of their lives. Here's the problem, though. None of us are. And they're no different. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners. The Pharisees were especially in trouble because they thought they were so good. That's why there were so many tax collectors and obvious sinners around Jesus, because those are the people that were sure that they weren't good, that they needed help, that they needed saving. The problem with the Pharisees, which is a major problem in our culture today, is that they thought they were better than everyone else and they thought they were safe. I think if they were around today, they would probably say, I'm a good person. I recycle. I support minorities. I don't hurt people around me. I've never stolen or murdered. I'm pretty good. And all of those things are good. But they say nothing about our relationship with God. That they don't mean that we aren't sinners. That doesn't mean that we have a right relationship with God and that we can come to him. They misunderstand how holy and good God is and how dirty we are. John's failed expectations caused him to go and ask Jesus, are you the one? 
I'm struggling. Whereas with the Pharisees, their expectations, their failed expectations bolstered them in their ignorance and they moved away from God. Jesus goes on to explain more about the Pharisees' attitudes. He says, um, he went on to say, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you say he has a demon. The son of man came uh, drinking and eating and you say here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. A few things to note here. The people of this generation, the children sitting arguing together, they're both referring to Jesus is both referring to the Pharisees and the people like the Pharisees that chose not to be baptized, to repent of their sins. Secondly, the children that are sitting in the marketplace in the metaphor, they're basically whinging at each other. Hey, you didn't play the way that I want to play. Now I want to play this one. Now you want to do this one. That's what's happening. That's the, the description that Jesus is giving of them. And then Jesus expands the metaphor in that last couple of verses. So John was a demon because he didn't eat or drink. Jesus was a glutton and a drunkard because he did eat and drink. So they're saying, John, you're a weird demon. You don't eat and drink. And then they're saying, oh, Jesus, you're a glutton and a, and a drunkard because you do eat and drink. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. What's, what do you want then? Jesus is saying that the Pharisees are disappointed by him because he isn't playing the game the way that they want him to. God isn't falling in line into their box. He's not doing what they want. They are children in the marketplace fighting with each other because they aren't getting their way. They love themselves so much. They see themselves so highly. They're so good in their own eyes that they aren't willing to come to God and ask like we saw John did. When God doesn't live up to expectations, you can do two things. You can either run to God or you can run away from God. Grace City, I'll close with this. This morning, I call you to run to God. I want to remind you that when you run to him, he will tell you to keep your eyes focused on him. I know that is said often, but what does that mean? What does that look like? I think our passage tells us. What does Jesus tell John to do? He reveals himself. Jesus reveals himself to you in the scriptures. Going to God when you have hardship doesn't mean that he'll take it all away. Remember, John was beheaded. But it does mean that he will be with you through the fire. I promise you. My family and I can testify to that through war and sickness and death and miscarriages and joy and birth and life, he is tangibly walking through the fire ahead of us, behind us, with us, beside us. We don't worship Jesus without cause. We worship Jesus because of who he is. And I'll close with this as the band comes up. Colossians 1 tells us, Jesus is the son and the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of our all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and, and, and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have be been created through him and for him. 
Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's the God that we worship. That's the God that we put our trust in. That's the God that when you're in the dungeon and you're stuck and you see the execution coming, you can trust in, even when you don't understand what's going on. Why don't you pray with me to this God? Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that even as we struggle through life, even as the hardships come, we can look to him. We thank you for what he did on the cross for us. Because we know that we can trust that forever sin and death have been conquered. Let us live our lives in light of your son. Let us trust that no matter what we're going through, we can rely on him and we can put our trust in him. Let us run to him as we feel everything is falling apart around us. And let us know that he is peace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.